invite you this morning as we begin before we get to Genesis 41. So I have the last couple of weeks, we're going to start in the Psalms. I think this is week three, maybe longer. I can only count to four because I'm a musician. So um, if we're getting that high, I may have to start over. Anyway, uh, turn to Psalm 40, and we're going to begin there. I invite you to stand as we read the first five verses, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than they can be told. Lord, you are faithful. And in the hardest of moments, you are there. You are with us. You guide us. You hold us fast, as your word says. And help us in these times when we don't understand our circumstances to trust, to trust you, not to have some ambiguous fate where we might hope that something good happens in some measure of of goodness in in our thoughts, but Lord, that we would remember your goodness in the land of the living. And as we look at Joseph's life, we would bless you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I hope that you, as you read this, if you've been here in weeks before now, would realize why I might start here. When we left off with Joseph, he had been in prison for a while. And he interpreted, he, well, you know, as, as much as a prisoner can earn rank, he became the head prisoner. Lucky him. Anybody want that job? Anybody feel like you're in that job? Anyway, uh, sometimes it may seem that case. But Joseph was obedient to the Lord. We don't see in his account that he lays blame on God for his times of suffering. We see that he is faithful and trusts. And so as we look at this psalm, this particular psalm doesn't... uh, have a direct relation to Joseph, but we see that as David writes it, we can look forward to the life of King David and see that he went through a lot of hard times, a lot of tough things, and he waited on God, and he realizes that God is faithful. But these words that he draws out here remind us of everything he was going through. He drew me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock. There's a lot of symbolism there. Was David actually in a miry bog? I don't know. I know he went and ran a lot. I mean, he was hiding with the Philistines. He was hiding with the bad guys. He was hiding from the good guys. You know, it it was a lot of craziness going on there. But what we see is that he trusted God. And we must realize that where we set our feet is not something that we're in control of. God is the rock. 
He is the one in whom we trust. And so when we see Joseph, and going back to Genesis chapter 41, as I pull my little ribbon out in my Bible here, we see that Joseph is in the miry bog, in the pit of despair. <clears throat> All right, somebody just got that joke when I coughed at um, Don't even think of trying to get out. All right, sorry. <laughs> People who've seen that movie laughed. All right. Um, anyway, Joseph is in prison. And remember, he interprets the dreams of the head butler, the cupbearer, and of the baker. The cupbearer is restored to his job, and the baker's fate is a little less positive. Right? He gets hung. Well, the cupbearer had a request from Joseph that he forgot about. And we're going to read about that right now. I was looking at chapter 41, and I was also looking at the plan that I kind of laid out for how this is all divided up. And I was going to try to do all of chapter 41, but there's a whole lot there. And I know you want to go home sometime. So next week, we're going to do the second half. That's all really part of the same account, but there's just a lot here. And that's one of the reasons, too, that I have started with the Psalms. It kind of sets an introduction to what we're going to see with the life of Joseph. But where we find Joseph now is still in prison. And it's been a while. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 41 in Genesis. After two whole years... Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing in one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. All right. So let's start back at verse 1, pick this apart a little bit. How long had Joseph been in prison unjustly? At least two years. Because it was two whole years after the cupbearer had been restored to his position. How long had Joseph been in Egypt? At least 13 years we see, because we're going to come to his age here in a moment. He's 30 years old at this moment. When he went and was uh, being the bratty little brother, he was 17 years old. So, we have here, we have a riches to rags to riches to rags story so far. And thankfully, it's not the end of the story, but we see that Joseph has a lot of different outfits, literally, that he wears along the way. We see that he starts out wearing the coat his father gave him, the coat of blessing that showed the authority and the, and the, the strength and the preference that Jacob gave him over his 
older brothers. And that didn't go over too well, we know. Because they took his coat off of him, they threw him in a hole, and then they sold him to slaves. I sold him as a slave to people heading to Egypt. What happens, remember, they take his coat back to dad covered in goat's blood. Apparently DNA testing hadn't gotten quite up to what was going on. Uh, it was blood. That's all they really knew. And the blood that was on the coat didn't belong to Joseph, but they let dad make up his own story. Well, isn't that convenient? Have you ever done that to your father? <laughs> Did you ever do that to your father? When something bad happened, you just let them come up with their own story? Sometimes it works in your favor, and sometimes it doesn't. Well, we, all we really know from that point on, and we're going to hear from his brothers next time, actually in a couple of weeks now because I'm splitting this chapter up, but we find that Joseph ends up a slave. He ends up being the head slave. He ends up being framed by his boss's wife who wanted to have an affair with him. He ends up in jail, which remember, jail is not the place you want to be, but human rights, as far as we know, weren't really a thing in about 3,600 years ago. The jail was not a pleasant place. Yet, he shows faithfulness. He has favor with the head jailer. He becomes the head prisoner. Again, some of us feel like we've been there. Now, here he is, after two years, the cupbearer, and we could say that guy wasn't nice. He didn't remember. But most of all, he just didn't remember. And I think that we get upset with people a lot of times simply because they're human, right? But this guy's humanity proved to be detrimental to Joseph. He got restored to his job, and he was happy about it. Then Pharaoh has a couple of really wild dreams. I'm glad that God has not spoken to me like he spoke to Pharaoh. But I have a feeling I might respond the same kind of way that he did here and go, what in the world did that mean? You have seven fat, healthy cows sitting by the Nile, and then seven other cows come up and eat them. I don't want to see the animation worked out with that. They can leave the special effects alone here. But that's a wild thing to happen, right? The ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows, and Pharaoh woke up. You ever wake up after a weird dream? Some of you might have some nightmares that you wake up. I remember my nephew, when he was a little bitty, had night terrors, and he luckily didn't remember any of them. But I remember my brother saying he put his hand on him, go there, there, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, and, and brought calm to him. Well, Pharaoh didn't have that privilege. He went back to sleep, and guess what happened again? Another weird dream. Seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. So there's a picture there. Behold, spreaded seven more ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. Think about where Egypt is. Egypt is, the, the Nile Delta is a, a lush green triangle in the midst of a whole bunch of desert. Right? Both east and west. But picture in your mind, I should put a map up if I'm telling you, but you can picture in your mind the big boot that is Arabia. 
the Arabian Peninsula and the heat coming back into the Nile Delta. That's what they're picturing here. The hot east wind blew back in and it killed the crop. Blighted by the east wind. Blight is, is an interesting word. It's, there's nothing good about it. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It's ugly. It's nasty. It's, it's sickly. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now, they keep calling them dreams, but for Pharaoh, it seemed to be a nightmare. Right? They, he didn't know what to do with this. He awoke, and he called all the guys together who were supposed to know what to do, and they couldn't tell him what it was about. At least they're honest. I don't, it doesn't look like he, he took them down here, but that could have happened. Right? Fearfully, they could have just made up something. How do you think that would have gone over with Pharaoh? I mean, these guys had all power. They could have ended them. What did he do to the, the baker last chapter? Right? He hung him. He lifted his head off his body. Ugh. So he could have. And, and, and I imagine that these magicians, these sorcerers of the day, were terrified of what Pharaoh would have going on. But, verse 9, the chief cup, chief, chief? Chief, cupbearer, said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. Now, in some other translations, I like how it said it too. I remember my sin today. I remember the things I did wrong now. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Think about the cupbearer's perspective here. Do you, when he gets out, maybe one of the reasons he didn't think about those dreams again was because he saw what happened to the baker. <laughs> it's like, I'm putting that behind me. Don't want to think about that. Man, I lucked out here. But he didn't think about Joseph at all until this moment when it was needed again. Joseph is sitting two years. Think about where you were two years ago. Think about sitting in jail that whole time. Now you got to be in charge. Doesn't seem like a, much of a, you know, a happy spot to be. Two, a lot can happen in two years. And a lot can seem like it's not happening in two years. Joseph sits there waiting. Is he waiting on the cupbearer? Is he waiting on Pharaoh? Ultimately, he's waiting on the Lord. The Lord is the one. And, and, and I really think what we find with Joseph along the way is that he, he learns about trust. He learns that there is someone in charge of all of this, because everything that's happened to him, even though he was annoying to his brothers, he didn't deserve what happened to him. And when he, he gets falsely imprisoned, he didn't deserve what happened to him. And when he tells these guys their dreams, he ends up sticking around two more years. He didn't deserve that. Almost all of the major things in, God, in Joseph's life, if not all of them, happened 
outside of his control. He had to trust what was going to happen. How long did he work for Potiphar? Probably 10 years. Things were going pretty well then, right? He had a place to sleep. He had a place to eat. He had nice clothes. He probably smelled good. But then that garment that he was given gets ripped off of him as he leaves. And he gets the garments of a prisoner. And here he still sits. Pharaoh calls for Joseph in verse 14. He sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. They brought him where? Out of the pit. Joseph, unjustly, over and over and over, ends up in the most unpleasant place possible. It's just not fair. You know what? Nothing in this life is fair. One of the things we see in our culture is that if you work hard enough, good things are going to happen. Pull up your bootstraps. Well, I don't own any boots, nor do I have the straps, but I think that's a figurative thing, right? Work hard, good things will happen. Did Joseph ever not work hard? Everyone who was in charge of him trusted him. Until that whole Potiphar's wife thing, that was unjust. But nothing, he, he worked hard and nothing good was happening. Did he have days where he was on his pity potty? Probably, right? He's sitting there just sad. Probably, he probably had those days. We don't hear about them. But I think he was as human as you and I are. Yet, the only, only request we see from him the whole time was to the cupbearer. Or to, the, actually, he made it to both of them. But to the cupbearer is the one who relates this, and he forgot to fulfill it. Now, Pharaoh calls for him out of the pit. When he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. There's a couple of of things at work here. First of all, we see there's a major difference in the practice of the Hebrews and the practice of the Egyptians. The Egyptians, most of the images we see, if you see uh, the the mummies and the sarcophaguses out of the, the, what are those things? Pyramids, that's what they are. Geography, Uh, get it figured out. We see that they're they're clean-shaven, that they're pretty, that they've got it all cleaned up. Well, the Hebrews, and even this goes into modern Jewish culture, they don't shave their beards. But also, he was in the pit. He was not like the Egyptians, and he smelled bad. If you're going to go step before in the presence of the king, you've got to look good, you've got to smell good, you've got you to have everything put together. So he gets another new outfit. Changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And here it is in verse 15. This is the crux of this whole passage, 15 and 16. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, yeah, buddy, I can do it. I'm your man. No. He didn't present his resume and show his dream interpretation graduation thing. 
Where does he go? He gives it to somebody else. Joseph answered Pharaoh, verse 16, It is not me, not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He gives credit where it is due. And I think, and again, it goes into our, our modern Western mindset, American mindset, whatever. We want to prove, you know, that's, you know, being at the state meeting last week, you know, how things going? You hear that from my, I hear that from my friends, I see that, and thankfully our, our state uh, church culture is not a competitive one, but there's always this desire to put on a good face. But we must be reminded that God is the one who brings all fruit, and he brings all truth. So we must give glory to God for all of it, whatever circumstances we're in. Joseph, he'd been unjustly prisoned for two years beyond being, I mean, yeah, he, he had every right to say, yeah, it was me. But he did not. He gives credit where it is due. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. What is that favorable answer? It's the truth. Is it a fun answer? Well, if you've read this story already, you know that it's a strange answer. And it's a hard time that is ahead. But God is faithful. Verse 17, there Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. Now, think of the ugliest cow you've ever seen. Think of the most beautiful, uh, you know, Angus, bull, steer, whatever, wherever you're going to get the best, most tasty steak you'll ever find. Now, the ugly, starving one is going to eat the big, fat, beautiful one. I got some buddies who have their, their kids are raising uh, you know, steers and bulls and, and, and heifers for all of the different uh, fairs and things like that. And man, those animals are beautiful. Think of the ugly one eating it. Weird. Seven other cows came up after the important. It's seen all in the land of Egypt. And then the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they are still as ugly at the beginning. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Then I awoke, and then he gives them the rest of that dream. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the musicians, but there were, I almost said musicians. That you can tell where my brain is. Maybe they were musicians too. But there was no one who could explain it to me. Magicians, musicians, whoever, they couldn't explain it. There's some principles here at work. Now, obviously, we're going to see the interpretation from Joseph that God gives him. But think about what happened here, and it's the same story twice as we're going to see. As good as we think we can do it, and we can make ourselves beautiful and pretty, it doesn't take much for the ugliness to come and take over what we think is good. Sin can destroy the goodness that we offer. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one, verse 25. 
God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. Over and over, he says this. It's not the first time a preacher repeats himself, okay? We do say the same things over and over. But here's our example. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up to them are seven years, and the seven empty years blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. It reminds me of a hundred years ago when we called the Roaring Twenties. What followed it? The Great Depression after the stock market crash and all the, the climate issues and things that happened along the way, the Dust Bowl and you know, things that many of you may have heard about firsthand. You may have been a part of it. I don't know. Uh, it was about 40 years before I was born, and I can't take credit for any of that. But when we see the good things that will happen, it's really easy to forget that good time when it gets hard. And then he says it's going to be so hard that they're not even going to remember the good times. And the plenty will be, let's see, where was I? Uh, okay, verse, end of verse 30. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Same message twice in that interpretation. It's definitely going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. We better get ready. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. <laughs> you read ahead, you know who Pharaoh chooses. But can you imagine what's going through Joseph's mind right now? Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers of the land of Egypt and take one-fifth of the produce of the land during the seven plentiful years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh and food for, the, for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are occur, to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. There's a lot of life principles here that we can pull that you can... You can see from Scripture, and you can also just pull on your own. But one of the things we realize is it's not a bad thing to save. To hold on to the, the things, because, you know, if, if you don't have anything planning for that rainy day, then you may not have anything when that day comes. So it's a good thing to save. But also, there's a moment that it will be used. To both end. It's not just about hoarding. Because if we don't plan to use what we keep, it's hoarding. I've got to have more and more stuff. But God, through Joseph, tells Pharaoh to get ready because it's going to get hard. And we have that warning, kind of warning in our lives. This is where we're going to stop today. We're going to see that, that Joseph's hopes are going to be justified and he's going to have some good things happen. But remember that it always comes to the point of understanding when we hear a word from God, it needs to return to where we have seen it fulfilled. And this time it was almost immediate. I mean, seven years sounds like a long time, but you know they're, they're, they're living high in, 
and easy right now. Things are growing. It's raining. We've got a good, the water in the Nile is clean. It's, it's, it's it, you know, anyway, we've got all these good things going on. Let's plan ahead because we know that it's going to get hard soon. The reason Joseph was trusted was because his previous statement had been accurate. That God had fulfilled the prophecy that he had given to the dreams of the cupbearer and of the baker. Both good and bad. And that's God's prerogative, by the way. He is sovereign. Rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. I've said that before already. But as we look at the word of the Lord, we need to trust that he is the one who sees all of it. He knows the beginning and the end because he's, but he's there at both sides. He understands how it's all going to work out. He understands the hardship that you are going to endure. And he also understands that he is the one who brings all goodness in those moments. And sometimes we need to be disciplined so that we learn about him. He is the good father. He is the one that places us in, in, in moments where we may not understand. But he calls us to trust him. Now Joseph, remember, he is a lowly Hebrew slave who had been falsely imprisoned. He had nothing to lose, but everything to gain. He also could have lost his head just like the chief baker did. Right? When he gives the gods, I'm going to say he interpreted, he gives God's interpretation of this dream because it is from him. He realizes it's all or nothing right here. I might as well tell him what God said to me because I'm either going back to jail or I'm going to get my head chopped off if, if it doesn't work out well. But there's always hope. Will we trust God when we don't know which way it's going to come out? Because God sees it all, remember? But I don't. I tend to be like Joseph's fellow prisoners, if not like Joseph. Be a little whiny when it gets hard. Whether you guys have noticed that. But I think we're all like that. Why? Me? God is at work. We wait for him. And he pulls those who trust in him out of the pit in his time. So if you're going through something hard in your life, and I don't think anybody's life is perfect, we all got to deal with something. He's going to pull you out at that right moment. It's for his timing. It's to his glory. And I think that's the, the message that we find out of here is, that we need to give God the glory in all things. Joseph knows that he, he's not the one who's coming up with this. He says, God's going to do it. What in your life right now, what in the life of our church, what in the life of our nation can we give back to the Lord and say, you're going to do this, God. I give you the glory. Will you trust him in that moment? Will you trust him to lift you out of the pit? You can't climb. Joseph wasn't getting out of there on his own. 
It was in God's time. Will you trust him to lift you out of the pit that you find yourself in right now? Pray. God, you're good. You are faithful. You're kind. You're gracious. You're all-knowing. I pray for every person hearing this word now, including me, that we would recognize your hand holding us, lifting us to the rock that is your salvation. As we find our hope alone in you and through your resurrection, you paid the price for our sins on the cross. We find our hope in you. I pray, God, you change our hearts now to bless your name. And I pray that we would have the grace with one another that you have given us in Jesus. Understand that these hard times are, are temporary, but that you are faithful. Help us to trust you today in Jesus' name. Stand together in our time of invitation. If you need time for prayer.